Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Trouble With Sex. I'm Dr. Tammy. Today, we have a super interesting topic, surrogate partners. What are they? What do they mean? And what do they do? I actually have two partners on today. Nicole Ananda, she's a surrogate partner, mind-body practitioner. She's also a Reiki master and a shamanic and tantra practitioner, as well as Brian Gibney, who's also trained in surrogate partner therapy from the International Professional Surrogates Association. And they are both part of the Surrogate Partner Collective. What I also know about Brian is that he's a circus performer. He's an amazing acrobat, and he has a history as a research scientist in molecular biology. These are very well-rounded people. Today, we're going to talk about surrogate partnership, sex partnership, sex surrogacy, and what does it mean? Who uses this? Why do you use it? When do you refer someone to surrogate partnership? And how do you use it in clinical work? Like as a sex therapist, I could refer someone to a surrogate partner and the three of us would work together as a team for things like erectile dysfunction or low desire. They work with women, they work with men, they work with intimacy, they work with people who have trouble with just relationship issues. You know, it's kind of a sexy idea. I ask them, is it legal? Find out more on this episode of The Trouble With Sex. As a sex therapist, I get asked about lubricants a lot. And I'm going to tell you about one of my favorites, Uber Lube. Uber Lube is really simple. It's silky, it's smooth, it's never sticky, and a little goes a long, long way. This lube is the best. It reduces friction, but you still get sensation. And what it doesn't have is even better. No harmful parabens, no glycerin, and best of all, no scent, no taste. It lets you feel like there's absolutely nothing between you and your ultimate pleasure. Go to uberlube.com and use the promo code Dr. Tammy. That's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y for 10% off plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. That's Uberlube, U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E dot com. Welcome, Nicole and Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Tammy. You're welcome. So, Nicole, tell me, what the hell is a surrogate partner? (laughs) I mean, it's pretty simple. It's someone who stands in for a romantic partner, a relationship partner. And we work in the capacity of a relational model with people usually who don't already have a partner they can practice with. But also sometimes we do work with people who do have a partner and who need some sort of outside support. So it's a very simple thing. Also, it is done within a clinical triadic model. So there is a clinician involved as well. Anyone who says they're a surrogate partner and doesn't work with a clinician is not actually practicing surrogate partner therapy. So it's really done like clinically. I mean, we want to talk about sort of the sexy part of it and not so much the clinical part of it. But we also want to know that clinically, this is very relevant. Like, you know, this really has a purpose here. You guys work with therapists. You're not you're not going rogue. And yeah. it's not yeah. sex work. It's different. Like, tell us how it's different. Well, it is both clinical therapy and sex work, and it's experiential sex therapy. We help people work through things that talking to a therapist is just not going to help them work through. And I'd like to let Brian chime in as well here. 
Yeah. So I, thank you for asking about the sex work, because that's something that's a question I get all the time. You know, sex work for me is as much a political identity as, as anything else. I think one of the reasons why we don't call ourselves sex surrogates and why we prefer the term surrogate partners is because we like to shift the conversation to the relationship model. But in the end, people do seek us out because they have issues with sexuality. Um, we do offer, if it's appropriate for a client, you know, erotic and sexual touch. Um, but we're not ashamed of that. I think that's part of what it is to be a full person. So for us to have recognition of that right off the bat is, is really important. But we want to get away from this whole sex-shamey, erotophobia culture. Like, we're, we are sexual beings, every one of us, and it's okay to say that. So for us to take ownership of the term sex worker, I think that's fine. I think a lot of people have a very definitive idea of what a sex worker should look like. And in the past decade or so, the umbrella that has kind of caught all the different forms of sex work has expanded enormously. And there's no reason why something like surrogate partner therapy, a clinical form of sex work, shouldn't be able to be under that umbrella. Well, doesn't that make it illegal? Like sex work is still illegal in this country. I'm so glad you asked. I get this question all the time. So first off, if it's not explicitly illegal, it is legal. And what's explicitly illegal is the exchange of sexual services for money. Because we're working in a clinical context, because there is no guarantee of sexual services, it is in this, this legal area that really isn't in conflict with the law. Well, it's kind of a gray area, right? So if it's not explicitly illegal, then by implication, it's legal. But it's kind of this weird gray area because you are providing sexual services for money, but that would also include sex therapy, right? So I'm providing services yeah, yeah, around I, I, sex for money. Like, it's kind of a weird area. Yeah, one of, one of the really interesting things about ethics and legality is, is that the law really is based on two things, the letter of the law and legal precedent. Right now, there is no legal precedent that says surrogate partner therapy is against the law. There have been no convictions, no trials. So Knock on basically, wood. Yeah, right? It hasn't <laughs> happened. So, so what that says to us is that the legal system and the people within the legal system, even if there is a question about whether or not surrogate partner therapy is explicitly legal or explicitly illegal, the legal system just doesn't want to deal with us because the reality is we're out there working in a therapeutic context. And you're not hurting anyone. You're helping. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Clearly. Well, some people, I would say, are harmful if they're not practicing within the, the triadic model with a clinician. And I have worked with clients who said they worked with a surrogate before me and had been harmed. So there, it's really important to draw that distinction and make sure that anybody who is doing this work is working with an overseeing, collaborating clinician to make sure that they're doing it ethically. So you want to make sure that if you have a surrogate partner that they are certified through IPSA. Can you tell us what IPSA is? The International Professional Surrogates Association. So IPSA is one of the ways where mm -hmm. people can get trained and certified as a surrogate partner. Both okay. Nicole and I are founding members of the Surrogate Partner Collective, which is a new organization oh, that cool. is going to train and vet surrogate partners. Cool. So either organization, what we do is we will teach both the practice and the philosophy of what surrogate partner therapy is, as well as best business practices, ethics, 
and working with clinicians, because those are all very, very important. More importantly, we're going to also, especially in the Surrogate Partner Collective, set up a way of having conversations, peer-to-peer conversations and mentoring, which is really needed in the field. We have a tendency to kind of be our own separate islands as practitioners, which is what is wonderful about my relationship with Nicole, because we found each other and and Nicole has this amazing practice where she is bringing clinicians and practicing surrogate partners together so they can all help each other and, and grow together as a practice. Now, you guys met through IPSA. No, we, we, yeah, we actually didn't meet through IPSA. Okay. No, IPSA, I mean, if you want to know, am I allowed to tell the truth here? <laughs> well, please well, don't lie. That, okay. would be, that would be against well, the whole purpose of this. Slightly scandalous. So I'm not IPSA trained. I'm trained through the Institute for Mind-Body Therapy. And the person who runs IPSA uh, told Brian, you know, here are the people you should meet. Once he got trained, she said, there's, you know, this surrogate over here, this surrogate over here. And there's this Nicole woman over there in Philadelphia. You want to stay far away from her. I don't know what she's doing. So, of course, then he came and immediately sought me out and (laughs) we connected. I am doing surrogate partner therapy in a way that no one has ever done it before. I've built a practice around it. And I'm in charge, and that is very different. Normally, surrogates kind of have been placed below clinicians in a hierarchy. Clinicians meaning therapists? Therapists, yeah, therapists. Like sex therapists, psychotherapists? Any and all. Okay. So surrogates are sort of bottom of the rung, is that what you mean? Like, I'm not sure. Well, that's how it's been. And the way that we practice is as colleagues and as kind of equal colleagues collaborating together with the therapist or clinician in order to do what's best for the client. And in my practice, I'm the boss. So I have two clinicians who work for me, and I have four female surrogates, including myself. So two clinicians, you have two therapists, psychotherapists. Two therapists, yes, mm-hmm. who see psychotherapists who see our clients. And then we have a stable of surrogate partners, including Brian, both female and male surrogate partners who work with all genders and transgender and every type of person, all orientations. And that's something new. And I think possibly because I'm doing this a little bit differently. There's maybe I'm a threat or I I don't know what it is because it's kind of been a cult of personality in the world of surrogate partner therapy. drama. There's a lot of drama. And here's the other thing about where we are in the industry is that in the past, a lot of the networking connections have been done on a, a personal level because there is a little bit of shame associated with working with a surrogate partner. For many therapists, it's edgy, it's uncomfortable. And it's unclear. People are unclear. Like, are we supposed to refer to you? Is it legal? Like, I get get questions every day from sex therapists. Like, do you know any surrogates? You know, I have clients that I think could benefit from this, but I don't know what to do, who to contact, who to, you know, how to find people. Yeah, and Tammy, you know, like, I've I've been giving lectures on this for years, addressing those questions, Mm -hmm. and they're just... There, there really hasn't been a whole lot of advocacy and education about surrogate partner therapy on a general cultural level, like mm-hmm. with the, the general populace and in the therapeutic community. So, so one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to be out and proud about the work. Mm-hmm. We're trying to educate people. And we're trying to say, like, not only is it not illegal, but it's also very ethical. It's very effective. And it, and it gives people something that they desperately need. And we want to have things be at clinical standards and we want to work together, which we are doing with ASECT, and make sure that we are up to their standards so that their clinicians feel comfortable 
working with surrogate partners and they know they can trust people who have been trained and certified through our organization. And we also want to provide things that don't exist in our field, which is, you know, continuing education and keeping up with people's certifications so that we are following more of a clinical model that regular licensed therapists have to follow because we don't have licensing available to us. Wow, you guys should you guys should teach at the institute, my integrative sex therapy institute where Brian's taught before, and we should have like a whole track of this. Now, yeah. now I, like my I mind. Would, I would love, love, love to do that. Oh yeah. my God. Absolutely. Like my mind is blown <laughs> right now. Because here's the reality. Like we are just really starting to understand how the body influences psychology. We as a culture are understanding that things like embodiment, vulnerability, relationships, communications, like they, they are all seated in the body. Trauma is seated in the body. But most clinical therapists haven't been taught about how you access the body, mm-hmm. which is why it's so important you work with us. So having, having clinicians, having therapists who are used to dealing with the emotional and the intellectual component and surrogates and other touch professionals dealing with the, the somatic, the physical and the emotional, using the emotional as that bridge we get to look at people as holistic holistic packages. And that's that's what we are as human beings. We have all of these components in ourselves, all referencing each other all the time. And it just takes a special group of, of professionals working together to be able to help with that. So I have three different areas I want to talk about. One is, you know, this idea that the somatic or the body is intimately connected with what's going on in our heads and our and it's sort of the narrative or the, you know, the message of what's wrong with us. You know, like it tells, instead of medicating it away, it's sort of the information that we need to access, right? So if something's going on in your sexuality and it's a problem, we need to listen to that instead of, you know, giving it a pill. And the second thing I want to talk about is like, okay, what the heck do you guys do <laughs> in a session? <laughs> like, what's going on there? Is it like the movie with Helen Hunt where you're like, oh, God. like what is going on that. there? No. And then the, the third thing is the question that I ask all of my podcast guests, which I would love to start with, is like, what do you think is the biggest trouble with sex today? For me, the biggest trouble is disconnection and disembodiment. So people, we live in such a reductionist, disconnected culture that people walk around all the time stuck in their heads and they are not in touch with their bodies. And the body and the mind, the whole being, the whole entity of a person is all one. We've kind of gotten into this very modern idea that the mind and body are separate and they just aren't. But we have focused all our attention in the mind, in our thoughts and neglected our bodies And so people, most of the people that I work with are just so out of touch and they don't know how to release their thoughts and feel and be deeply present in their body. And I think that that is one of the things that causes the majority of the problems that I see. Because the people who come to work with me for, you know, erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or whatever it might be, orgasmic issues... It's always because they're stuck in their head. They don't have a medical issue. Although we have had... We have had a lot of success with people who've come with medical problems that doctors couldn't solve. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And to go to your point of medication, I've helped a lot of people get off medication. Viagra, depression medications, all different medications. Some people, even blood pressure medication, all these medications that they're on are because they're not deeply in tune with their body. 
and they're not regulating their body systems and their nervous system. And when you learn how to get deeply embodied and you learn mindfulness, you really are able to manage your own health in a way that you don't need all of that. So I think that's the main thing. And it also, that disconnection from self also manifests in a disconnection from others. And so people then have trouble connecting, being deeply present with each other, feeling safe, being able to be vulnerable. And so we just have all these people walking around like a big giant head, you know, in there like this big <laughs> bubble of head and mind identification and thought bumping into each other and not really connecting and feeling. So I definitely want to hear what you do in a session. <laughs> I'm very curious about that. But Brian, what do you think is the biggest trouble with sex today? Oh man, I'm, I'm going to get up on my soapbox here a little bit. So interestingly enough, I, I don't think the biggest problem with sex is specific to sex. I think it, it encompasses sex and relationships. And I think it's this this notion of, of scripted relationships, scripted encounters, and and expectations of how things should be. Whether it's in relationships, whether it's in sexuality, there is this broad spectrum of what is acceptable, enjoyable, healthy. And most people have such a narrow vision of what they think that is, that when it doesn't work out that way, they feel like they're broken. And there's so much shame around that. There's so much confusion. We don't educate people about this broad spectrum. And that leads to so many problems in relationships in and out of the bedroom. And I think having recognition of that broader spectrum, stepping off that script and saying, okay, let's, let's see authentically where I am, where my partner is, um, whether it's in emotional relationship, whether it's in sexual relationship, and then be able to co-author that encounter would be so much healthier. But we're all just too ashamed to have that conversation. Yeah, I agree. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I know you have questions about sex, love, and relationships, and I'm here to help. I want to hear about what you're going through in your life, and I want to answer all of your questions about sex. So The Trouble with Sex has launched Ask Dr. Tammy. Go to thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your questions. I'm going to answer them directly on the podcast or during my new Instagram live events. Don't worry, we're going to keep your identity anonymous so you can be open and honest and ask me anything you want. Send your questions to thetroublewithsex.com, Ask Dr. Tammy. I'm here to give you advice, answer your questions, and help open your mind and your heart to help you improve your relationships and your sex life. Nicole, let's go back for a second. So, you know, you get a guy who has erectile dysfunction and he's on medication, Viagra's not working, and the therapist, the sex therapist, the psychotherapist says, I don't know what to do for you. And he says, you know, I I need a surrogate partner. I think that would help. We find you. Like, what does this actual session look like? So I practice a little bit differently. My background is in yoga, tantra, energy healing. And so I really bring that into my work a lot. And I ask the surrogates who work for me on my team get trained in energy healing because it helps to make us incredibly sensitive to what's going on inside our client. And usually I can feel, I can feel in my body what's happening with them oftentimes before they know what's happening. I can tell when they go in their head. I'll tell them what's happening and they're usually 
blown away. Like, how do you know this? And so you really just, tune in to yes. them. So are you sitting in a bed with them? Do you have your clothes on? Do you? So we start out. So the way that I do my sessions, I usually use a similar structure for every session. I'll come in and we'll talk first and we'll talk about the homework. I give them homework. Do you meet with them in their house? Do you meet with them in a diner? Do you? I have a studio. So most surrogates work out of their homes or out of the client's home. I have a studio where all of our surrogates who work in this area work out of nice. our studio. Okay, so it's like a neutral space, but it's set up for the... Mm-hmm. It has a day bed, like a couch where we sit, and then it has a floor mat, like a big queen-sized mat on the floor where we do the body work. So we'll sit on the bed. I'm, and so, I'm have, picturing you know, like cushions and yes, incense and cool music. and yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. Yes, like, you know, tapestry. I have a big giant tapestry that I got in India with nice. Radha and Krishna. Of course you do. Of course <laughs> Of course do. I do. And I burn sage and all of, of that. Of course, of course. It's very zen, yeah. Uh-huh. And so they come in and we talk. Usually if it's a first time, they're very, very nervous. They don't know what to expect. They're uncomfortable. And they'll come in and I ask them if I have permission to give them a hug. Um, Most of them, because I work with men, and it's a little bit different working with women. And Brian can talk about that. Because a lot of times women will say yes when they don't mean yes because they just— They're used to it. Yeah, they're used to it. Sure, yes. you can hug me. Sure, you can stick your tongue down my throat. Sure, whatever you want. Yeah, like. exactly. So, you know, we're taught to be pleasers. And a lot of the men I work with actually are also pleasers and they're not in their empowerment. But I feel more comfortable asking their consent for a hug and then trusting that they're okay with it. And they're usually really hungry for that. And so then I hug them and we have this moment of connection before we even know each other that helps them feel safe with me. And then we sit down and we talk. Wait, and- I'm just going to interrupt for a second because I'm having like a, a pandemic moment. Like, how <laughs> how do you do this with the pandemic? Are you, is your business shut down? Are you having mm-hmm. a COVID, you know, consent moment? Like what happens there? Yes, it's been, I haven't been working since March. I've only just begun doing a tiny, tiny bit of work with a whole lot of negotiation ahead of time to find out where they've been, what have they been doing, how okay. careful are they being. I ha- We wear masks. I've only done a couple oh. sessions, but we wear masks the whole time, which is not ideal and it does get in the way, but I still have been able to have really good, successful sessions. And one of my clients actually just had a breakthrough with both of us wearing masks. So, wow. But, you know, it's it does get in the way of intimacy to have to stay six feet away and cover your face up so you can't yeah, read facial expressions. It's like expressions. a COVID body condom. <laughs> it is. Well, we're having the same kind of conversations now that people should be having before they have sex. And it mm-hmm. is a really good model for that. What, so true, really. How are we going to protect ourselves? What have you been exposed to? We should all be doing that anyway. Yeah, it's a good point. Good point. Yes. Yeah. But back to the structure of a session. So we'll sit down, we'll talk for a while. We'll talk about what we're going to do. We talk about the boundaries around the session. We talk about the homework. I give a lot of homework. In the first session, I explain to them what the homework is going to be and why why I'm assigning that. And then in you know subsequent sessions, I talk to them about have they done it? How's it going? If they haven't, what's getting in the way? What's happening with the homework? Like, is the homework, like, self-pleasuring? Is it, like, taught self-touch? or? So for, for the homework I give, I teach them yogic breathing to help bring them in their body and calm their nervous system. And it's a deep abdominal breath that we do in yoga. So I teach them to do that. And then I have them practice just five minutes a day. I have them practice 
embodiment throughout the day. I just tell them set an alarm and a few times a day, just stop for a moment and feel your body and let go of thoughts and just notice what you're feeling. Feel your butt in the chair, feel your feet on the floor. People don't do this. They don't even take that much time in a day, a few seconds a day to really connect. I also have them do what's basically a type of Vipassana meditation, which is a meditation by doing. And I ask them a few times a week while they shower or while they're having a meal to try to be as deeply present and mindful as possible and notice all five senses. So listen to the sounds of the water or look at your food, look at it, feel the different textures in your mouth, smell the the aromas, feel your, your hands on your skin while you're washing yourself instead of just mindlessly going through the motions of doing what you're doing while thinking about something else. And what they learn from that is that everything in life can be intensely pleasurable. When they get deeply present, eating a meal is orgasmic. Taking a shower is orgasmic. Sitting still, when I meditate and just sit still, I literally feel waves of joy and energy and have tears of ecstasy rolling down my face from just being still and present and feeling connected with everything that's within me and beyond me. And most people don't have access to this. So a lot of what I do is my practice is grounded in my spiritual practice. And I feel like what I'm doing is helping people connect with their soul and my soul and something beyond them, although it's not in any way religious. Because I have worked with every type of person. I've worked with Orthodox Jews. I've worked with evangelical Christians. I've worked with Muslims. It's really fascinating to work with people of different cultures and you know, spiritual beliefs who have very specific and constraining practices they have to follow. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the room with them and you've given them some homework and they've done, you know, a little bit of practice, do you then move from the hug to, okay, take off all your clothes? So I'll do breath work with them first and teach them the, the deep breathing and help them learn how to get deeply present. And I'll usually do that standing up in a hug with them so that I can feel into their body where they're holding tension. And then I'll do a body scan with them and I'll have them just focus. I I'd always go feet to head. And I have them just start with their feet and we both just notice and focus on their feet and then keep moving up and notice where they're holding tension and what's going on in their body. And what they'll find is they didn't even realize how much tension they normally hold in their body and how disconnected they are. And so I help them let go of some of that, relax it. I might shake them out a little bit, you know, maybe touch those parts of the body to bring their awareness there. And then in future sessions, I have them do that lying down because most people are able to let go and really relax more deeply without having to stand up. And after that, then we'll do sensate focus exercises, which most sex therapists are aware of. And that's part of the original Masters and Johnson surrogate partner therapy protocol is doing touch exercises. We start out clothed that are based on a pleasure model rather than a performance model. So we're not worrying about what the other person thinks, how they feel, whether they like it or not, whether you're doing a good job. When you're touching, you're just being deeply in your body and feeling and experiencing what feels good to you. And when you're being touched, you're just deeply present in your own body, experiencing that touch. So, and that's how I do it. So when I'm touching them, I'm just in my body, exploring and enjoying myself and not worrying about what's going on with them. And then do do you let them touch you in the same way? Yeah, so we set a timer and I touch them first and then we switch and they touch me and we start out just with all our clothes on, just touching. In the original protocol, it's just the hand. I like to do the hand up to the shoulder, so I do the whole arm and then we switch. And 
It sounds kind of boring, and most people are like, meh, you're just going to touch my arm. Why am I paying so much money for this? Am I really going to, you're going to fix my dick, right? <laughs> How's this going to fix my dick? And they usually leave with their minds blown. They have such an intense, pleasurable, connected experience having their arm touched and touching my arm. And they feel a lot of times very aroused. A lot of times people will come to me saying they have erectile dysfunction and get an erection when we're doing the breath work or the sensate focus work. And they're shocked because all it takes is relaxation and connection and getting out of their head. So do you ever get to the place where you're touching their dick? Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I love that part. That's really fun <laughs> because the way that I do that when we do get to that after we get through these sensate focus exercises, which are very non-goal oriented. So when we do incorporate that genitals into the sensate focus, it's we're not touching it with any goal. We're not trying to arouse somebody. We're not trying to bring them to orgasm. We're just feeling and touching their penis like it's their elbow, just feeling the curves and feeling this, the texture of the skin and all of that. But in the second level of work, in the way that I do it, I basically do tantric body work. And so I will do a full body body work, including genital touch that is meant to be extended touch for them to just rest in pleasure, not to try to, so it doesn't look like a happy ending massage where they're just trying to get somebody off. Try and get not, them try, not trying to get anywhere. Right. Not trying to get anywhere, just trying to help them learn to be deeply in their body and feel good and let go of any need to go anywhere but here. And the issues come from being in the past or being in the future and having the mind elsewhere. In the moment, there's no problem. And that's where we work on PE or ED. Premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Or delayed ejaculation, all of those things. And after or between each of these sessions, you work with their sex therapist or their psychotherapist, and you kind of are all three of you are on the same page, on the same team. Yes. In my practice, because we're all in the same practice, we share a client management portal. We use simple practice. And so we all put the client notes in the same place. We have weekly staff meetings with each clinician. And we go over all the cases. We talk with each other separately. If we need to go over a certain case more, we read each other's notes. So we don't have to do as much coordination as, say, Brian might have to do when he's working with several different therapists mm -hmm. because yeah, he does it's, it's, work on it's his It's a own. very different model. So I'm getting a question from a listener who wants to know, is the therapist ever in the room with you? <laughs> That's a good question. I get that a lot. No, the therapist is never in the room unless we're having what's called a triadic meeting where we're having a sit down, you know, very business-like meeting where we talk about goals and expectations, has logistics. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. not touching the penis when the therapist no. is in the room. Yeah, one, one of the, <laughs> one the, of the things- And the therapist has their penis in their pants. Yes, please. One of the things that works when, in surrogate partner therapy is that like, the therapist does what the therapist does. Mm -hmm. The surrogate does what the surrogate does. And we all talk about it. We share notes and we're all on the same team. That doesn't mean that we have to be in the same room. And really the, the therapist can't do that because of their own ethical and professional yeah, we limitations. Can't touch, a sex therapist does not touch someone's body. And we, don't, we, we are not allowed to be in a room when someone has their penis out. Like that's against our that's against yeah, my, yeah. So my that's, license. At yeah. least not if they're your client, right? <laughs> well, that's true. So I'll tell you a story. Like I have a couple different offices, and one of my offices, my satellite offices, I share with a massage therapist. 
And so the massage table is always out. And every single new client, when they walk in, <laughs> they look at the massage table and they go, oh. And I go, no. No. <laughs> no. No, no, so, no. So, Tammy, what's what's really interesting is that, like, when a client comes into the room with you, <laughs> maybe when you're not in that office with the massage table, like, actual sex is not on the table. Like, they know that they're walking in the room and that's not what the session is about. When they walk in the room with us, even if sex isn't a part of the work ever, there's always that question in the back of the head. Is, like, there's the potential for erotic interaction here. And that context shift allows us access to so much, so much more work, so much different stuff that we can work through than, than traditional talk therapy. I want to know more from you, Brian. You know, how are your sessions different than Nicole's? Mm. Is there something that yeah. you do that's different? Yeah, yeah. But hold on. Because I want to stay tuned so that we stay in this sexual energy. Excellent. And not we'll be this, here later. And not lose this <laughs> triadic model of this threesome that we're in. Sweet. <laughs> so stay tuned for more after this. Negotiating sex can sometimes be intimidating. However, if you learn to speak openly and honestly with your partner, it can actually heighten your experience of pleasure. If you can find respect between you and your relationship, then you can appreciate the importance of taking care of yourself and your health and your partner. Consent means that it's your right to say no to sex without a condom. This is part of your own personal boundaries and also taking care of your own sexuality. So for more tips and information about sexual health, you can visit uberlube.com resources. And while you're there, you can check out their really nice, smooth, luxurious, and condom-compatible loop. So check out uberlube.com, that's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com, for sex and so much more. I have a question from Andrew in Ohio. How does someone know if they need a sex surrogate, and how do they know if it's going to work? So usually... Someone is in therapy for an extended period of time. Like psychotherapy or like sex psychotherapy, therapy. Like psychotherapy, yeah, mm-hmm. or sex therapy. And they've often come up against some obstacles that are limiting their, their progression through the therapy. Therapists aren't always educated about surrogate partner therapy. I don't think they're ever educated about surrogate well, partner we're, therapy. we're working on it. We're working on it. Hopefully a therapist will be able to, get, to guide you through the process. How do you know you need it? How do you know it's going to work? How you know you need it is if traditional talk therapy isn't getting you to the place that you need to. May I say something here? I disagree. Okay. Mm. I don't see it that way. Yes. Yes. Not conflict. Tell us. Brian and I are good at working through conflict. So that is the traditional way of looking at it, the way that Brian just described. I personally think that every single person could benefit from surrogate partner therapy because most people have not had good education around intimacy, relationships, and sex. So... I think everyone can benefit from it, and I think everyone should have access to it. And a lot of the people who I work with have not been working with a talk therapist and for a long time and then come to the conclusion that they need to do this and then come work with me. They say to themselves, I have a problem. How can I solve it? They go out looking for answers. They find my practice. They feel connected to it and the way that we do the type of healing work we do, and then they contact me. And so I also think that that is an appropriate way for people to come to this work is that how do you know you need it if you feel like it might help you? If you have a problem and you'd like to solve it, I feel like it's incredibly, incredibly effective. 
And so anybody can benefit from it. I would love to have a surrogate partner to work with me. I mean, I have, you know, I do this for a living, but it would be so nice to be able to have somebody hold that space for me sometime. Well, what if I want a surrogate partner? There's nothing wrong with me. I just want like to have a, you know, an extramarital partner that I can pay that is going to like, you know, hold me in my full body hug and do some energetic sexual stuff with me. Like, that sounds pretty hot mm-hmm. to me. Like, what's wrong right. with that? And I, and I think that's, I think that's a very different thing than surrogate partner therapy, right? Yes. That would be, you know, sacred intimate. That would be tantra practitioner. That would be a different sacred professional Sacred intimate hat. tantra practitioner. Do you guys ever do that? And then is there ever intercourse? Do you ever have like, you know, penis and vagina intercourse? Like what's happening there? Well, I do tantra work. Um, body work with people who aren't coming for issues, who are just coming to learn how to get deeper into their body. And there is never any, they don't touch me. So I have very strict boundaries around that. Some of them come to work with me after they've worked with other people and it's a, people, other people have different boundaries and so they think they can touch me. And so I'm always very clear about that and what the boundaries are, that this is one-way body work and it's about them. Uh, and there is not any kind of sexual contact or intercourse. But in our surrogate partner therapy work, there can be intercourse and sexual contact if it's warranted and if the entire triad, the clinician, the surrogate, and the client feel that it would be helpful and useful to help the client progress. There, there's, there's a whole world of touch professionals out there that do different, different types of work. So you say, well, what if I just want this? Well, you know, that may be a certain type of touch worker, but maybe not a surrogate partner. In my view, surrogate partner therapy is all about taking folks that are having severe obstacles to relationships and sexuality and bringing up them up to a place where they can interact on their own in a healthy relationship. Are your sessions different than Nicole's? So my sessions are a little bit different. Part of that is by virtue of the fact that I work mostly with female clients. Because so there's a whole different set of socialization that comes in. But, you know, just like Nicole, just like other surrogate partners, you know, I I do the whole establishing a therapeutic triad, talking about boundaries of the work, setting expectations. One of the listeners just said, you know, how do I know it's going to work? There is no guarantee that this is going to work, that, you know, that comes from being in a goal oriented society. But the reality is when we fix a lot of the underlying issues there is such a high chance of success. When a client has a first session with me, absolutely close on. There are many times where there's no physical touch either, not even a hug. Because the first thing that I want to do is I want to help a client become aware of their own body. So own their body's feelings and establish communication skills with me. I want them to feel strong in their nose and aware of what that feels like in their body when they're communicating that now. So I do a wonderful exercise that I love called May I, Will You?, which is a communication and consent game where we just ask each other, may I or will you questions? And a client can either answer no. Sometimes they're forced to answer no just to see what that no is, it feels like. Answer yes. Give no answer, but consider their feelings around it and just sit in that quiet space. And let me tell you, most people don't feel comfortable doing that. And then have authentic answer, yeses or nos, with no follow-through. Again, mind-blowing because we think we have to act on everything once we've answered, and then maybe act on something. So it could be as simple as like, may I boop you on the nose? (laughs) You know, it's it's it can be not sexy at all. It's about how we have these communication dynamics and how we 
use verbal skills to communicate with each other what our bodies are feeling. So what is a typical reason that a woman would come to see you? So I have worked with clients that have experienced trauma or abusive relationships. I've worked with clients that are uh, physically disabled. I've worked with clients that are pre-orgasmic, so they haven't had orgasms yet. I have worked with clients that have just a history of really bad relationships where they don't ever feel like they can either be connected or an, or an even partnership with their with their partners. So there's there's a really broad spectrum from the specifically sexual to the, you know, I just don't know how to be an emotionally articulate, empowered woman in relationship, and I need someone to practice with. Okay, Brian, I'm going to ask you a very specific question before I get to the place where I'm going to ask you guys to give us some advice for our listeners. Yes, yeah, bring it. How does you being a circus performer contribute mm. to you being a surrogate partner? I okay. have to know. Our listeners want to know. That's actually a really, really good question. I'm going to go back a little bit and I'm going to say, so my training is initially as a scientist. I did a lot of research scientists, worked on molecular biology and microbiology. And I taught my brain how to think a certain way. I taught my brain how to say, here's a big problem. Let's chunk it out into small problems so we can, so we can address those small problems. Let's make sure that we don't introduce unwanted bias into the system. You know, very like academic very dorky brain. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I love that, but it was not an embodied profession, right? Like I, I got to use my brain a lot, but not my body. I love to use my body. And through various permutations and combinations of circumstances, I wandered into the circus. And what I realized was that the circus was also, it engaged my brain a little bit, but a lot of my body. So I wasn't just physically using my body, but because I did partner work in the circus, I learned how to communicate with my partner, how to establish trust and balance in the relationship, how you can say so much without using words. And that has really, really informed my practice, both in, in the how do we establish trust? Because when you're hanging 20 feet in the air upside down and you expect a person to catch you, like That's that. some trust <laughs> issues there. Yeah, you got to trust. Yeah, you, you need to work on your trust. And, and what our bodies do and our, our emotions do when we don't trust someone really inhibits the relationship. With yourself and the other partner, yeah. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. And, and if you're talking about in terms of circus and in normal relationships kind of out in the wild, it's risky because we are not sharing where we are because we are working in these potentially vulnerable places, whether it's 20 feet in the air or emotionally vulnerable. Um, our bodies do certain things. We close up. We become less apt to connect with each other. And it's that closing up that makes relationships hard. Okay, so we could have a whole episode about the circus because you know I grew up mm -hmm. in the circus and we could just Bring talk it. metaphorically about circuses. Oh, yeah. We definitely have to do it. We'll just have a whole tent. Nice. Uh, yes, yes, under the tent episode with Dr. Tammy. Okay, before we end, can you please share any last pieces of advice for our listeners? I would say for me, the biggest piece, I do work with women as well, but because most of my clients are men, I'm going to direct this toward men. Great. My biggest piece of advice would be stay away from pornography. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Not because of any moral judgments around it, but because of how it affects your neurobiology and how it reduces your testosterone and reduces your desire for a real woman and also affects your functioning with 
a partner. Because of the masturbation? It's because of the way that it retrains the neural circuitry so that your sexual response cycle is then responding to a certain type of visual input. And also because men are evolutionarily wired for diversity and they're usually not looking at one woman in one scene. And so they're reinforcing that need for variety and then they get with one partner and they're having sensory, physical touch input and one woman and it's not the same thing and then nothing works. And I can't tell you how many young men I've worked with, healthy men in their 20s through 40s who have erectile dysfunction or can't have an orgasm or they have a ton of desensitization because they use porn. Hmm. Okay. And also, you know, over-masturbating, too. That's another whole thing. Like, you know, your body needs it about once a week to flush the prostate and to bring up your testosterone. But if you masturbate more than that, it actually decreases your testosterone. Oh, interesting. And decreases your desire for connecting with a partner. And so even though I don't have any problem, like, I, it's fun to watch. I have no moral issue with looking at people having sex because it's interesting and fun. But the way that it's become used in our society, I think it's been very detrimental for people's sexual functioning and for their sexual connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good advice. Thanks. You're welcome. Brian? Yeah, so I would I would say my, if I were to give any advice, it is to talk about sex and relationships boldly with the, with the people in your life. You know, whether it's your partner, whether it's your, your sibling, whether it's, you know, friends that you have, one of the things that leads us to feel not normal and broken is because we don't know what everybody else is doing. A lot of people around us are experiencing the same problems that we are. And it feels really good to share that. And, and it, it kind of helps us feel less alone. So yeah, absolutely. Talk about sex. It is, it can be fun. It can be yummy. It can, you can help develop a great supportive community around you. There's nothing stopping you from doing that other than your own perception of what other people might think about you. And everybody else is curious, too. So talk about it. That's great advice. So how do people find out more about how to either be a surrogate partner or how to get a surrogate partner? Contact us at Surrogate Partner Collective. And it's surrogatepartnercollective.org. And you know, we can talk to therapists about, hey, you know, what is it like to, to work as a surrogate partner? Is it appropriate for my client? You can also ask us, you know, how do I how do I become a surrogate partner? We want to know how your partners feel about you being surrogate partners. Oh, that's a whole other conversation, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. The, the short answer is um, that's one of the ways I vet partners. If they are excited and supportive of my work, that tells me that's someone I want to be around. If they do not understand why I would want to do this, then that's probably not someone I want to hang with. Yeah, good point. Yes. Good point. And if they want to work with a surrogate partner, they could always contact our practice, which is Ananda Integrative Healing Group. I just want to thank both of you for being brave and committed to your work. And you're obviously both really you know, committed regardless of, you know, what could be some difficulties in the field. You're doing it anyway. You're loving your work. And, you know, I really have so much respect for both of you. Well, and thank you for having us on here to talk about it. I, I think that's really important that we have we have a platform and people learn about surrogate partner therapy. Yes. So to all my sexy listeners out there, stay sexy, stay healthy, stay well. I'm Dr. Tammy. Till next time. This episode was brought to you by Uberlube. 
Have a question about your relationship, your sex life, or sexual wellness? Visit thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your question. For sex-positive tips, live events, and updates, join my mailing list and follow us at The Trouble With Sex on Instagram. The Trouble With Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is designed by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by J.C. Chow. Music by Bruce Hirschfield.